exile. That's the state of being barred from your own country, uprooted, evicted. The Jews were exiled, but quite often, actually. When we think of Jewish exile, we often think of the Babylonian king, King Nebuchadnezzar. He sacks Jerusalem in 586 BCE. And that's because during that exile, the temple was destroyed. And then we get books in the Old Testament like Ezra and Nehemiah that surround those events. And even our text from Psalm 137 today, it comes from that exiled period. But the truth is, there are many more exiles. It's really a consistent theme throughout the Old Testament. And it starts at the very beginning. Adam and Eve are exiled. They're barred from their home in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3. When you get to Genesis 12, Abraham is uprooted from his kin and his land, which just so happens to be the moment where God makes a covenant with Abraham and Israel's formation begins. Their community was built while in exile. Jacob and Joseph both spend time in exile. Moses literally spends the majority of his life in exile. He runs away from Egypt and then he is called to lead for 40 years in the wilderness. If you take the first five books of the Old Testament, we know them as the Pentateuch or the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. By the end of the Torah, Israel is anticipating entering into the Promised Land, but they're not quite there yet. They're perched on the edge of the Jordan, still in exile. The next major section of the Old Testament, it's a great word, is the Deuteronomistic history. The books of Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, that section also ends in exile. And there are three major exiles within that period. The first one, if you remember, Israel splits into two kingdoms. The northern kingdom was Judah, or the, was Israel, the southern kingdom was Judah. In 720 years before Jesus, the Assyrians destroy the northern kingdom. Everyone is dispersed, and they go all over, either south to Judah or to Egypt or throughout the Mesopotamia. In 597 years before Jesus, the political leaders of Judah in Jerusalem are removed from leadership, and everyone who has power Religious leaders and politicians are excommunicated from the city. That's where you get the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel was cast out with everyone else in 597, and that's where you get his story of the dry bones shall live. Well, then comes Babylon's greatest win. When they destroy the temple, they burn the city of Jerusalem, and in 586, Israel as we know it is gone. So by the 6th century before Christ, there are pockets of Jews everywhere. They are exiled in both Egypt and all throughout Mesopotamia, and they live this way for almost 70 years. So exile 
is a recurring theme, and it still is today. Now, we aren't in Waynesboro physically exiled from our land, although we have seen it in our lifetime on the news in our planet. People who are barred from their country, sent out and exiled away from their homeland. But we know what it feels like to experience a spiritual uprooting, a spiritual exile. Biblical exile is a physical displacement, but it's also a spiritual one too. And that's the part that connects to us. Exile is the ultimate outcome of disorder. And that's what we hear in Psalm 137. It was written when Israel was in Babylonian captivity. And as you can imagine, this is a terrible psalm. But it teaches us a tremendous amount about disorder. Now keep in mind, this is a cry of people attempting to find normalcy after their entire lives have been uprooted into chaos. Hear verse 1 again. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. Zion was the heavenly city we knew as King David's city or Jerusalem. There's just not much more gut-wrenching cries in the Bible than this. You feel the pain and the displaced Israelites are wondering, will I ever go home again? And what will home be if we do? Think about what they must have felt. I want to read it again. Verses 1 through 4. By the rivers of Babylon there we sat and there we wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows there we hung up our harps. For there our captors asked for us for songs. Our tormentors asked for mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How could we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? It really is gut-wrenching. The tormentors and captors are forcing them to sing their songs of old, mocking the way the Jews worship. Call on the name of your Lord if he'll show up. And the Jews just bury their heads and cry. How could we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? I feel this. They were utterly broken, completely disordered. They had no idea if it was going to get better. So they do what feels natural to all of us. They turn their sadness into rage, into hate. And they offer a scathing rebuke back to Babylon hoping to sway the God of their ancestors in, to inflict pain on the powerful, on their enemies. Listen to 5 through 9. If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand wither. Let my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you. If I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy, remember, O Lord, against the Edomites. 
the day Jerusalem fell, how they said, tear it down, tear it down, down to its foundations. O daughter Babylon, you devastator, happy shall they be who pay you back for what you have done to us. Happy shall they be who take your little ones and dash them against the rock. You did not hear verse 9 wrong. Israel is praying that their enemies and the children of their enemies are killed. And they want to revel in it. They want revenge. And we can all understand that emotion. I've told you about my past the time especially when I was fired from a Southern Baptist camp when I was 21 from Ecuador and they put me on a first class ticket home and I drank a mojito that they paid for. <laughs> I won't rehash all of that again. There are many sermons through the years that do. But I was fired at 21, put on an airplane, and told that they hope I never go into ministry ever again just because there were a few bad apples that were in leadership over me. It was a devastating blow to my ego, my selfhood. I felt exiled from the spiritual land that raised me. And I didn't know where to go. I didn't know who to turn to. And I didn't know who my people were. It was a real disordering for me. We all have these moments. Divorce does this. Surgery does this. Death of a loved one will do this. When we get laid off for seasons of depression or anxiety, changing a major in school, struggling financially, quitting a job, family problems or concerns, cancer treatments will do this. There are a million and one different things that exile us into the land of disorder. And if we're not careful, our brokenness can slip into anger. Our anger can lead to hate. The hate can lead to rage. And we can feel like the Israelites felt that we need to avenge. And this is the tale that you have entered into the land of disorder. That you need to rage. That you need to hate. You begin to create these dualistic worldviews, us versus them. You consistently feel and play the role of victim or victimizer. Both of those lead to disorder. Which, to bring Jesus into the conversation, is what mesmerizes me about Jesus. Probably more than anything that he does in the Gospels. He never creates a victim, and he never plays the victim. Challenge me on that if you want. Go back and read every story of the gospel. Find a time where he does, because I haven't found it yet. He was never emotionally or psychologically disordered. Now, he was physically disordered. He was exiled in his own way displaced by his own family and friends. He was literally murdered by his own people. But he never created nor claimed victimhood. He withstood the trap of falling into the lostness 
or the hatefulness that can come with disorder. This is not true for Israel. They were completely disordered. They were both the victim and the victimizer, and therefore utterly disordered. And they have a lot to teach us today. When we move into disorder, we are not ourselves. We're altered. We're different. We're a shadow of our true nature, and it's because we are broken. Israel in Psalm 137 is broken. They were supposed to be God's people who live in God's land, who reign over God's kingdom, and it's all gone. And they don't know if they'll ever get it back. I don't want to trivialize that pain. But I need to make a more anecdotal connection to our lives today. It is really hard to overlook how our experiences of the last 16 months and the coronavirus and even what's happening across the Western Hemisphere in church, how it mirrors so much of the feelings that Israel felt, which was for us in some ways is gone. We will never be what we were. Our families will never be what it was. We have been disordered. Church will never be what it was. It's going to feel different the rest of our lives. Those who have graduated over the last two years, either high school or college, they're always going to be known as the COVID kids. Every child is going to remember in America that they had to wear a mask in school. Church programming, church budgets, church worship, it's all going to be different. And we're left processing this pain. Or we don't process it and we rage. Now I said at the beginning of the year, actually the first sermon of 2021 back in January, that First Baptist is going to come out of COVID fairly unscathed, but not entirely. We had to reduce our budget this year by $100,000 from last year. We're reducing our full-time staff from four to two ministers. And the truth is, we're still behind in our 2021 budget this year. And honestly, every church in America is. Every denomination in the Western world is hemorrhaging members People's spirituality have moved beyond the confines of organized weekly worship. And the church is going to have to learn how to navigate this exiled season. First Baptist is always going to have events. We're always going to put stuff on the calendar. We're always going to have worship. And we're always going to continue to invest in quality and to pursue excellence wherever we can. So some of the things that were, they're going to come back. Some things are going to feel a little bit like the same. But make no mistake, the church is forever changed. It has now been disordered. People's lives are forever changed. What can and we should expect from church is forever changed. So what can we learn from Israel here? We better see Psalm 137 as a cautionary tale. And we should do our best not to fall into the trap of victimhood. This was not done unto us by someone else. We're not the victim here. And we most definitely need to be careful 
not to become the victimizer. So speaking of the Southern Baptist Convention, which, by the way, I don't follow and I don't care about, but if you follow news and you follow anything in church culture in the news, then undoubtedly you have heard their name over the last week because they have just held their annual convention and 15,000 messengers came to Nashville, Tennessee to be a part of this annual convention. So it was kind of a big deal and it kind of made the news because 15,000 is one of the biggest events they've had in decades. The reason why people came is because they were debating whether or not women should hold leadership, critical race theory, and sexual abuse cover-ups from their church leaders. Somehow, magically, the Southern Baptist Convention made 2021 feel like 1921 in a single day. Now, again, I don't really care. I'm on a different path. So is our church. But I will just offer this critique. From my vantage point, the Southern Baptist Convention has jumped in both feet into creating victims and claiming victimhood all the time. They blame all of their problems on someone else because they look different or love someone differently. They accept zero responsibility for themselves. They are literally trapped in exile, hemorrhaging thousands of members every month. They are utterly disordered and they can't see it. They're trapped in disorder until they learn to. Which is true for all of us in exile. We will just stay here in the land of unknowing until we learn to navigate towards reorder. So how do we do that? First, we need to realize that our disordering, it can serve a purpose. It's leading us out of something that was no more. And it's leading us into something new. Secondly, we need to see that God did not put us in the disorder. Life did. But we can get through it. And here's the kicker. We have to get through it with God. Next week, we're going to see how Israel does this. They move through their disordering, but it takes the prophets to get them there. And what we'll see next week is how important the role of prophet is to harness and to teach Israel self-critique. Prophets do an amazing job of holding up a mirror so Israel and honestly all of us can hear them saying, look at yourselves, see this. Name this, and that's when you begin to move into reorder. But in Psalm 137, in the midst of Babylonian captivity, Israel was not ready to name this. They're still suffering in their disorder, and it shows. But if they're to move into disorder or into reorder, they will have to do the hard work of self-examination, self-critique, they will have to see the pains and frailties and anger and rage for what it is. And they're going to have to move beyond the victim versus victimizer mindset 
and realize that this pain that we're in, it can be transformed into love. And the same is true for us. I've said this before, and it deserves repeating every week. The two greatest teachers of spirituality, deep love, deep suffering. What Israel is experiencing in Psalm 137 is deep suffering. What the church is experiencing in the Western world in 2021 is deep suffering. What we're experiencing individually in our own lives is deep suffering. But the good news about this is when we see our pain for what it is, when we bring God into it, God transforms it into deep love. One of my favorite theologians, Richard Rohr, says, if you do not learn to transform your pain, you will surely transmit it. We have been disordered, but that's okay. We're here, and there's hope. Israel eventually comes out of it. If you let yourself process your grief, you will experience something better too. But it's going to come later. You're going to have to sit in the uncomfortable disordering for now. But please know, God is in it with you. This place is not easy, but it's the only path we can take if we want to get to true wisdom.